Thank you. You may be seated. Isaiah chapter 54, verses 1 through 8. Sing, O barren, you who have not borne. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not labored with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you shall expand to the right and to the left and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. Do not fear, for you will not be ashamed, neither be disgraced, for you will not be put to shame. For you will forget the shame of your youth and will not remember the reproach of your widowhood any more. For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. For the Lord has called you like a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, like a youthful wife when you were refused, says your God. For a mere moment I have forsaken you, but with great mercies I will gather you. With a little wrath I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness, I will have mercy on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 21, verse 21 through chapter 6, verse 6. Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be healed and she will live. So Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, 
immediately knowing in himself the power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult, and those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he said, He took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumi, which is translated, Little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age. And they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it, and said that something should be given her to eat. Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many, hearing him, were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this? which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joses, Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty works there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit, teaching. Well, here we are being shepherded through this narrative of the events surrounding Jesus' public ministry there, principally in Galilee, as we've been seeing, as we've been going through Mark's Gospel. And as we read this narrative, it's very instructive to us. 
because, as I've noted before, the two principal places where Jesus experienced the most rejection are Jerusalem, where he was a threat to the Jewish religious leaders, Jerusalem and his hometown of Nazareth. The further he got from Jerusalem and Nazareth, the greater his welcome was. There's even an episode there in Mark's, in Matthew's gospel, where he is out near Syria, in the very northeast region of Galilee, out near, and they are bringing, they are bringing him people from Syria. Folks, that's Gentile land. They're bringing people to, for him to heal, to cast out demons, to... <laughs> The further away he got from Nazareth and Jerusalem, the better his welcome. The narrative we read before what we just read that we dwelled on last week was where he goes across, he goes from Capernaum. It's about a six, mile, six to seven mile journey across the northeast, cor- northeast corner of the Sea of Galilee. They encounter the storm. They're in the midst of this huge storm and Jesus is asleep. And it's not just Jesus' boat, but surround, there's several other boats with them. And they finally wake up, Jesus, the water's coming into the boat. We're about to drown. Ah! Why are you afraid? He stands up, stops the storm, calms the sea. Now, these are people who have been with him. Now, in all fairness to them, folks, they're... We're no smarter than them. <laughs> How many of us would believe that we could have as a companion God the Son become flesh? The perfect, holy one. The one who deserves and welcomed worship. What would we do? What would we be tend to do? Exactly the... No, it can't be me. No way that God could elevate me. That would be outrageous mercy. Yeah. (laughs) Can we be glad that God is merciful? Ladies and gentlemen, exactly what Brandon was talking about earlier, exactly the passage he read from the scripture after the singing. What is our God like? That is the question we must ask. What is my God like? And what Welcome does he give me to walk with him in that area. He gives me unrestrained welcome. That's why it's called mercy and grace. And he picks us up. He qualifies the disqualified. Can we be grateful for that? Yes. He goes over. They do this seven mile, six to seven mile trip across the northeast corner of the Sea of Galilee. And he goes to this Gentile area, Decapolis means 10 cities. It's, the, it's most of the area on the east side of the Jordan River. And here is this man with the unsolvable problem. They have not been able to solve this problem. They put chains on this guy. He is indwelled by a legion of demons. They put chains on him. And he's broken the chains. He's ripped off the shackles more than once. Once. 
They can't solve this problem. And Jesus comes, problem solved. He casts this legion of demons into this herd of 2,000 pigs who then run down into the sea and drown. That's what happens. And the man tending that herd of pigs goes out and tells everybody what has happened. All the massive number of people come from the surrounding towns and villages and area, and they see this man who was a problem they couldn't solve, sitting there clothed and in his right mind and calm and having normal conversation. They all knew what the problem was with this guy, and he was an unsolvable problem that Jesus with one word solved. And they begged Jesus to leave because that is a huge threat. What? Who wants a God they can't control? (laughs) Well, he's a God of mercy. Yeah, but what is it about the human disposition and character? We all want to be in control of our environment. I'll tell you what, there's a much wiser choice. Let the God of mercy, love, grace, unrestrained power govern your life experience. You'll get to a better place. Still waters and green pasture. And ultimately, his embrace in heaven. So here they've witnessed this. Then they come back across the sea and Jesus steps probably the town of Capernaum. And here is Jairus, a leader of the synagogue, coming to him, begging Jesus, our daughter is about to die. Would you come and raise her up? This is a leader of the synagogue. And as, of course, I've read the narrative, you know what happened as they're on their way. Here is this woman Now, in our culture, this wouldn't have been this big. In the Jewish culture, she has had a flow of blood for 12 years. She has been untouchable. In the Jewish culture, if anybody had touched her, they would have become unclean. If she had touched anyone, they would have become unclean. They would have had to go to the tabernacle or the temple later, the temple in Jerusalem. They would have had to go through a cleansing ritual if they had had any physical encounter with this woman at all, just a mere touch. This woman has been ostracized by her community for 12 years with this unsolvable problem. And as it says, now it's not Luke the physician writing that. (laughs) She's, all of her estate is gone. She has spent every penny she has trying to get a medical cure and it hasn't worked for 12 years but she knows something if I can just touch his garment I will be healed that simple thing faith in his ability and as I read the narrative Jesus isn't even aware that she's there he's going through the crowd he's being pushed around there's so much such a throng as he's being led go they're going to the house of Jairus 
And when she touches him, immediately he stops. He knew power had gone out from him. Okay, who just touched me in faith? And the apostles are like, what are you talking about? You're getting pushed around by all these people. We all are. And then the woman came to him, and from her knee, she tells him this account in front of this whole crowd. This is humiliating, but it's also glorifying to God. She can say, I've been cleansed. I've been cured. And Jesus forthrightly takes the credit for it, and he says, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Walk in your healing. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the same God today that he was then. Walk in. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. And then, of course, while he's finishing up this narrative with this woman, comes the word from the home of Jairus, the synagogue official. You're, don't bother Jesus anymore. You're, it's, it's beyond cure. Your daughter is dead. And, of course, again, as I read the narrative, why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid. How many times does it say in the Bible, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear? Is It's very interesting. 365 times in the Bible it says, do not be afraid. Don't fear, don't fear, don't fear. Okay? <laughs> Daily advice from God. Don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Only believe. Really? Ladies and gentlemen, that is the format of our walk with God in this hostile environment. Only believe. Only believe. He has given to us his precious and magnificent promises that by these we might become like God. Second Peter chapter 1. We might become replicas of the God's own divine nature by his promises. Keep his, just trust his promises. That's the format of the Christian life. Only believe. Do not be afraid. Only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John. Those were the three guys of the 12 apostles that got in on some of these things that others didn't get to. Peter, James, and John, plus Jairus and his wife. And he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult of those who were weeping and doing all of their very loud mourning. This was a big part of the Jewish culture. They weren't private about their mourning. He saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. By the way, in the Jewish culture, sleeping was actually a metaphor for people who had died physically. So he's not forthrightly lying. <laughs> he says, no, she's just sleeping. She's just sleeping. 
By the way, why is that? By the way, every, every grave is going to be emptied. Every grave is going to be empty. He's only sleeping. The child is not dead, but sleeping. This is not a beyond my reach problem. And they ridiculed him. She's dead. There's nothing. Of the three, we have three resurrection narratives in the scripture. That we, now I believe Jesus raised a whole lot more than that from the dead. We have this one. Jairus, the daughter of Jairus and his wife. This, this one, the woman, the widow of Nain's son, when Jesus is coming into this town of Nain, and they're actually carting this carcass out to take him into, into the cemetery, and here is this widowed mother who is weeping because her son has died, and Jesus raises him from the dead right there. He's on, they're taking him out to the cemetery, and he raises him from the dead, and of course, the Lazarus narrative. These are the only three specified resurrections that Jesus does that we have some details on. Now, we know he raised others as well. But the child is not dead but sleeping, and they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, out of the house, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him those three other men, Peter, James, and John, and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kumi, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age. Complete resurrection. She didn't just start to get better. She was completely healthy, instantly. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it and said that something should be given her to eat. Why did he say, let no one know about this? Because Jesus is being overwhelmed by requests for healing. People are, they're bringing Family members are bringing people to him to be healed. The blind, the, the lame, demon-possessed people. He's being overwhelmed by, but what is the real cure they need? The real cure they need isn't the healings. It is the message of redemption. That's the healing they really need. And he doesn't want to elevate this ministry at the expense of the other more important ministry. The most important ministry is that they hear the redemption message. And so he's saying, okay, let's be quiet about this. And then we come to Nazareth, his hometown. When he went out from there, Capernaum, and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. He goes into the synagogue, or one of the synagogues in Nazareth, and he's teaching. And this is his hometown. It's the town he grew up in from the time that when he was a little child, he was he, he did his first two or three years of growing up in Bethlehem. And then uh, Herod uh, threatened him, you know, God sent him to... Mary and Joseph took him to Egypt, the child Jesus. He was two or three years old. 
when he went to Egypt, and they were in Egypt for a few years, then they found out Herod the Great had died, and so they came back to Judea, and God said, and they okay, Herod Antipas, his son, is the ruler, and he is an absolute maniac. That's when they went home, Mary and Joseph took Jesus home to their hometown of Nazareth. And so Jesus did the rest of his growing up in Nazareth, and I don't have time to go into all this. Jesus is about 36 years old when he begins his public ministry. I won't go into all that. And, but he grew up in Nazareth. All they know about Jesus, his father was a carpenter. He is a carpenter. We know his mother. We know his four brothers and his sisters. We don't, so at least two sisters. This guy can't be whom the, the person whom the evidence says he is. Evidence, 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 evidence. The title I gave to this sermon is Evidence Embraced and Denied. But everybody sees the same things. What am I going to do with the evidence? What am I going to do with it? The evidence all says that Jesus of Nazareth is God the Son come in the flesh he is raising the dead. He is healing. He is casting out demons. He's doing all these things. What is the logical conclusion to draw from this evidence? Oh, but wait a minute. I can't have grown up with the Messiah. No way. I'm not qualified to be a playmate <laughs> with the Messiah. Well, the God of mercy says you are. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished. Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to Jesus is speaking to them in this public venue. He is speaking out to them outrageous wisdom. Outrageous wisdom. As I've noted before, notice especially in the Sermon on the Mount. What does Jesus say? You have heard that it was said, but I say to you. You've heard that it was said, but I say to you. You've heard that it was said. The standard format for sermons in the synagogue would be someone would get up and, and they would read the text. Okay, let me tell you what rabbi so-and-so says and what this other rabbi says and this other rabbi, and they cite these other authorities. Not Jesus. Jesus gets up and says, you have heard that it was said. And he quotes these, but I say to you. And he would correct the authorities they had bowed the knee to before. And the, uh, the congregation is sitting there, uh, yeah, that actually makes sense. But he's correcting. He is speaking, you've heard that it was said, but I say to you, but I say to you, but he's the authority he's citing. Not some person over here or this person over here. I say to you, I say, let me ask you a question. Who governed the pens of the prophets that they're reading from when they wrote their prophecies? The guy who's speaking to them. <laughs> He's the true author. 
of the scripture that he's explaining to them. Really? I'm hearing this outrageous wisdom. I've heard of and I've witnessed these miracles. No, can't be. Do we do the same thing? Do we read the promises of God and say, wow, that's really wonderful? Stop it. They're your promises. They're promises to you. They're promises to me. Embrace them and allow them to embrace you back. Walk in that. It is by his precious and magnificent promises that we are to walk. It's as simple as that. Just now, as we were in the Sunday school class, we're in 2 Corinthians, and Paul says exactly the same thing, the promises of God. That's the format. But Jesus, they were offended at him. He was a stumbling block to them. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Well, an example, who, who honored Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, better known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Who most honored them? The Babylonians, <laughs> the least likely. Oh, wow. This guy told us the truth. <coughs> we know who the true God is. These three guys, we cast them into the furnace, and they were standing up in the furnace. The only thing that burned was the ropes that they were bound with. And they're standing up in the furnace, walking around, talking to a fourth fellow who's there with them. In the, who was that fourth fellow? It was God the Son, who would later come in the flesh as Jesus of Nazareth. And Nebuchadnezzar, called, who had had them cast into the furnace, called them out. Nebuchadnezzar ultimately became a worshiper of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why? Because the evidence was overwhelming. The Nazar Nazarenes couldn't, despite the evidence. A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. And it has been your experience, I would dare say, in your own family. If you were one of the first or the first to come to faith in Christ, how willing were your parents or your brothers or sisters or cousins to hear your testimony? Probably not very willing. They would have heard somebody else, but not you. Oh, no, 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 no. A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now, he could do no mighty work there. Why? Because they wouldn't trust him to do it except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled. Jesus was shocked at the level of their unbelief. 
and he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. By the way, as we continue in the narrative, he's going to go back to that region of Decapolis. And that demon-possessed fellow that he sent out, tell your friends what God has done for you. When Jesus gets there, there's going to be an overwhelming <laughs> coming to Jesus by those people. By those who in that culture, in that very large Middle East, would have been considered the least likely. Have you noticed that? That God seems to call the least likelies? Here's my hand. Here's my hand. But that is the kind of God we have, a God who is aggressive in his mercy. And by the way, he, join, he, and he desires for us, he entices us to join him in that ministry of speaking out as his disciples, as his representatives in this culture. Let's pray for that right now. Our Lord, we see that your miracles were welcomed and in some cases your gospel message was welcomed. But Lord, it is always by your aggressive grace that people have ears to hear and eyes to see. We are asking that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see your promises, your declarations for us, that we might walk in faith in your promises, in your declarations, but we also ask that you would incite us and give us attentive spirits that when you open a door of opportunity for us to speak out your truth, by the enabling power of your Holy Spirit, we would step through that door and tell whoever it is you've put in front of us the truth about you, the Redeemer. We ask this of you, of you for your glory's sake. And Lord, there's nothing we will... Be, treasure more when we step into your presence than those opportunities that we took in our past to actually walk with you. Please enable us to be your true authentic servants in this community you put us in. We ask this of you, Good Shepherd. Amen.